This is John E. L. Tenney, host of Realm of the Weird. The following episode deals with a situation that is so bizarre and far-fetched, even to this day I have trouble comprehending it, although it happened to me. Please stay tuned after the episode where I will reveal certain information that may help you to help me explain what might have happened. Thank you. on eyewitness testimony and evidence collected before, during, and after an actual paranormal investigation. The individual's names and locations have been changed to protect the identities of all persons involved. We've all experienced a dream that seems too real, a room that seems too dark, a presence when we know we're alone. We exist in a world of many realities where the impossible is probable and the unknown can be known. This is the Realm of the Weird. It was the winter of 2008, and I was re-examining some old cases when I received a phone call from a friend who was also a paranormal researcher. He wanted to remind me that there was a paranormal convention that weekend, and he was hoping that I would attend. Although I wasn't busy with any urgent cases and I was interested in attending the convention, I did dread driving for seven hours across snow and ice-covered roads. Nonetheless, two days later, I was driving to the convention. Once I got outside of Michigan, the roads cleared and I found myself actually enjoying the impromptu trip. I arrived at my destination late Friday night. The large conference and hotel center was bustling with people, but I secured a room unpacked and prepared for tomorrow's event. The convention was taking place not at the hotel, but five or six miles away at an allegedly haunted movie theater. So I woke early on Saturday morning, got ready and made my way to the site so that I could familiarize myself with the area. I met up with a few people who I'd quickly met in the hotel the night before, and after some small talk I realized that the original friend who had invited me was not going to be in attendance. The convention began around 10 a.m., and soon everyone was swapping stories and carrying on like old friends. Around 5 p.m. there was a dinner break with the conference scheduled to begin again at 7.30. I decided this would be a good time to return to the hotel and freshen up. Once back to my room, I snacked on sandwiches and grabbed a quick nap. Before I knew it, the alarm I had set for 7 p.m. was going off. I had just pulled off the main road and was headed back to the conference, when before I had any chance to know what was happening, there was a tremendous crash and my truck was spinning wildly across the road. An SUV in the left lane had veered into mine, Through the snow, I saw the vehicle accelerate and disappear into the distance. I got my truck into a parking lot, and after making sure I wasn't hurt, I got out to survey the damage. It was bad. The entire front quarter panel of my truck was demolished. The driver's side front tire was sitting at a 45 degree angle, and once I had turned the truck off, it didn't start again. At the time, I didn't have a cell phone, and since I was only about a quarter mile away from the conference, I buttoned my coat and started to walk. Once I reached the convention, I called the police, who escorted me back to the scene of the accident. I filled out a report, 
and when they had all the information they needed, I had them drop me back off at the theater because, well, what else was I going to do? I spent the rest of the convention telling and retelling the story of the accident. At the end of the night, a couple of sympathetic attendees drove me back to the hotel. I fell asleep that evening after searching the local phone book for repair shops that I could call the next day. When I awoke the next morning, it was clear that I was going to be staying longer than I thought. It was Sunday, and every repair shop that I had called was closed. I went to the front desk, and as I was extending my stay, I noticed that all the other convention-goers were checking out. By 2 p.m. that afternoon, I was one of six guests in a hotel with over 150 rooms. The hotel was eerie and silent. By 7 p.m., I had decided that I was going to find somewhere to eat. I asked the front desk clerk if there was any diner open late within walking distance. Even though it had just started to snow, I needed to get out of the giant empty hotel. The clerk told me that there were a couple of places that would be open, and the easiest way would be for me to walk through the field behind the hotel. He said some other directions. I remember he said something about a golf course and staying to the left. But by the time that he was done speaking, I was already out the door. It was getting dark and snowing harder than I had thought. I wandered across the field behind the hotel and was shocked to find that at some point I had crossed into an old cemetery. I saw the road ahead and beyond at the golf course. Since the snow was starting to fall at a greater rate, I chose to cut through the golf course rather than go all the way around it. Once I was through the golf course, I found myself in a fairly heavily forested area. I was getting cold and thought about turning back, but before I knew it, there was a river in front of me and I decided to follow it to the left and back to the main road. Spending my youth in northern Michigan, I actually found the adventure quite fun, aside from the cold which was now starting to numb my fingers. I came out of the tree line, found the road, and saw that I had exited the woods just past the diner. I quickened my step and opened the door. Coffee had never smelled so good. It was a typical middle American greasy spoon diner. One cook, one waitress, and two patrons who looked like they were regulars. I nodded to everyone, sat down at the counter, ordered a coffee, and got down to the business of dinner. Paula, the woman sitting at the counter three seats down from me, was talking about her kids. She had introduced herself when I first sat down. We chatted, and when I said that I had been in town for a ghost convention, everyone started telling me their stories. We laughed and talked, and before I knew it, it was 10 p.m. and the cook and owner was obviously trying to get rid of us. I put on my coat, paid my bill, and said my goodbyes. It was dark outside, but the snow had stopped, and the moon glow made the walk back to the hotel pleasant. I followed the same path back to the hotel, and once in my room, I quickly fell asleep. Monday was a flurry of activity. I found a repair shop, got my truck towed to it, spent most of the day talking to mechanics and insurance agents, and around 9 p.m., one of the mechanics at the repair shop drove me back to the hotel, where I was now one of four guests in the entire building. Exhausted from paperwork, I collapsed for the night. Tuesday was more of the same. Paperwork, telephone calls, and more paperwork. Plus, it had started snowing again. Back at the hotel, I received a phone call from the repair shop who assured me that my truck would be ready by Wednesday the next day in the afternoon. I started packing. I think it was around 6 p.m. that I made the decision to go back to the diner. 
now that I knew the way I figured I could cut my time in half, and I did, even though the snow was coming down harder than it had all weekend. When I arrived at the diner, it was the same cast of characters as Sunday night, minus Everett, who eventually showed up. Everett had been the quietest one in the diner the first night that I was there. I figured it was because he was the youngest and he was just being polite to us older folk. I ate, talked, and laughed. I explained that I probably wouldn't be back since the truck was going to be fixed, so when I left it was handshakes and hugs all around. That night on my way back to the hotel was the first time I felt scared of getting lost. The snow and wind were ferocious, and there was no moon to speak of. I did make it, though, and soon I was laying in my room, watching TV, and thinking of home as I drifted off to sleep. By the time I awoke the next morning, my truck had been delivered to the hotel parking lot. I grabbed my bags, checked out, and I was soon on the road back home. Home to my normal, old realm of the weird. weird. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Realm of the Weird. As you may have noticed, there was nothing strange in this week's episode. Sure, I was at a paranormal conference, but that's not strange. I was in a car accident, which isn't normal, but not uncommon, and also not strange. I was alone in a giant hotel, which had a cemetery behind it, and that's strange, but not too strange. The reason I told the story is because this episode recounts one of the most bizarre experiences I've ever had. As some of you listeners may have guessed already, I might as well confirm to you what you think. There is no diner. The diner I sat and ate at on two different nights does not exist. This is where you can help. I need you to help me find out who those people in that diner were. I know that the owner's first name was Jack. I never learned his last name and I don't remember the name of the waitress, but what I do remember are the full names of the two patrons of the diner. As far as I can remember, the woman who sat next to me's name was Paula Markison, or Markson, and the other patron, the quieter, younger male, his name was Doyle Everett. Since the event took place in Illinois, I would assume that that's where we should start looking, but since the diner doesn't even exist, I suppose the people could also be from anywhere or non-existent as well. If you have any information of the two previously mentioned people, Paula Markison or Markson, and Doyle Everett, please email me at john at weirdlectures.com. Thank you for your help, and thank you for listening.